That's one of those songs that challenges us in the life that we live. Honestly, seeking and desiring to be more like the Savior, to be more like the Father who is love, and to see how they dealt with us and how we ought to be able to deal with one another. Understanding how we do that, again, is based on what God has already provided for us through his word. John, as he's writing in that first epistle, and in the fourth chapter, it's hard not to at least make mention of verse 4 of you in 1 John 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Then dropping down to verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also ought to love one another. For no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we, are, that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the, believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Several times, and of course throughout the scriptures, we're reminded that God is is love. It's not just a characteristic of God that is his character. He is love. The kindness he's shown upon us, this desire that John is expressing here and back in the Gospel of John as well, of trying to get us to see what it's like, to see what true love really is. We live in a world in which tries to define love in a variety of different ways. They use the word very freely, often not fully understanding whatever, what is truly involved in love. In many cases, by the world's definition, we would just simply call it lust and not love at all. But this love that God has reflected towards us, 
seen a little bit in the Gospel of John in chapter 13. Verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We look at the latter part of verse 35 at least. By this the world shall know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. But that's keyed in on verse 34. Love one another as I have loved you. That love that Jesus had for us is mentioned throughout the scriptures. It begins very early in the promise of sending that Messiah executed throughout human history brought about in the life of Jesus and in the flesh on this world, going through the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions, the ridicule, and the rejection. And yet in spite of all of that, the willingness to go to the cross, knowing that that would be the only way that we could find or would be able to have salvation and eternity with God one day in heaven. To love one another along those similar lines. So loving one another is to be a reflection of who Christ is. To be seen in us, the challenge that is there, that is there each day that we live, the challenge is there at each opportunity that arises, and the problems, the obstacles that we face to be reminded need to come back time and time again, loving as God has loved us. Loving one another compels us to do the will of God. If we love him, we will keep his commandments. John will say as well in John 14, 15. Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That desire of really seeing commandments in a different light. That understanding of why God gave them. We live in a world that you do not have to speculate as to What happens when those do not obey or keep the God's commandments? The world clearly demonstrates that act time and time again. But there's a reason why. The world sees loving God. The world sees surrendering to God. The world sees this denial of self in order to please God as being restrictive, as hindering the things they would like to do in this life, never fully understanding the end result of that choice of lifestyle. And God in his wisdom is trying to help us to avoid those choices that bring consequences here, but more than that, that will bring eternal consequences if one is in disobedience to God. So that desire of wanting to keep the law that God has placed before us. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Paul would bring that out in Romans 11 verses 8 and 13 verses 8 and 9 and other passages as well. This love again, that again as we have the Gospels, to be able to read through them and to catch that glimpse again of Jesus, his compassion for us, 
the willingness to stand for what is right, but the willingness to be patient with those who did not quite fully understand what it meant to be this child of God. Even his disciples worried about it or were puzzled by his actions and what he did and what he was willing to do. And they'd be reminded that one day you'll understand more about it. That time would come and you would see it in their lives as they, decide, as they desire to share that with one another. Loving one another is a result of salvation. Peter, in writing in his first epistle, and in the first chapter, down at verse 22, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Our souls have been purified in obeying the gospel, that reflection of the love of God for us. The life has been changed, and again, that reflection is to be there. It's a constant struggle. The, the scriptures remind us over and over again that there's a war being waged between the flesh and between the spirit. And they're at odds with one another. And ours is to, ours is to be of the spirit and to have this type of love that is there. But we, we live in the flesh and the flesh will wage war against that spirit. The different lifestyle that God would have us to live the way to have this sincere love for our brethren, seeking what is best for them, seeking their best interest, the willingness to go that second mile, to go that extra mile. And it's not always easy that for us in the life that we live to do just that. That's why, again, it's a beautiful song that we've learned to sing. If we haven't been where we ought to be, then to know that this is where we need to be, and this is where we need to start again, of being the people that, that God would want us to be, in a life that we live. The challenge is always there in our life. Loving one another is that evidence of Christianity. Again, going back to 1 John, and in chapter 3, down at verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And this, for this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Clear distinction between the world and between God. Again, regardless of what the world says, you can watch the actions and see the consequences of what they do. And it's a, to be a characteristic that we, if we do not love, then we're not of God. If we do not love one another and seek that unity, then we are not of, of God as he would want us to be. John spends a great deal of time in that first epistle. Bringing that out, he does it in the Gospel of John as well as in Second John and into Third John as well. And then summing it up, if you will, in the book of Revelation. 
Tremendous little books that John has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Stressing that concept of who God is. Of seeing what He's done. Every once in a while we catch a glimpse of the beauty and the majesty of what God has provided for us. No way to comprehend eternity. No way to comprehend eternity before time began as we know it. So there's no way to distinguish that, if you will. But there was a time before this world existed that God was. And so there was a reason why God chose to begin time from a human point of view. In the beginning, a time frame, God created the heavens and the earth. And as he finished that creation there in Genesis 1, when God saw all that he has created, he said it was very good. But God had whatever he needed before he had created this universe. So this creation is for us. For us to behold its beauty, which we can do on many occasions. It's always been a joy and an experience, if you will, to watch some of the NASA programs and to catch a glimpse of the earth from outer space. To see how it looks and how it, how it is there in space. And at times to catch them as they put many years of circling the globe together to see the changes that take place in this galaxy or in this earth of ours. God created it for us, for we could behold its beauty. He created us, that we would be a reflection of who he is, not in the physical, but in the spiritual. The tremendous love that he would plan our redemption before he created the world. And that he would bring about that redemption. This is to be in us. This is to be who we are. The world does not see that. The world does not comprehend the strength that is there in being that child of God. And for the unity that is to be there as well. But it is an evidence of Christianity. By this the world will know that we are his disciples. The care and the the concern that we show towards one another that needs to be there. The willingness to show that compassion and that forgiveness when it is sought is tremendous. Again, the world does not really perceive that or understand that. That's why they're resistant to hearing or trying to learn more about who this God is. They see him as restrictive. God says you can do this. God says you cannot do that. God says if you do this, you're going to be punished. And so they see it as restrictive. Without understanding, God has already put that within us, a restrictiveness between good and, bad, and, good and evil. Again, there is no absolute freedom. There's no way that one can absolutely do whatever it is they want to do with no fear of any consequence along the way. 
God did not create it that way. There have always been rules and regulations God set, and man is, will abide by those. Even those who do not love God abide by rules and regulations in a life they live. And the question always is, where did that come from? Where did that sense of obligation come from? Where did that sense of restrictiveness come from? That I'm not free to do what I want to do. I've got freedom to move about. But if I move down off this podium and I get close to Jerry, my freedom to move my arms freely about has a restriction to it. His face says, I can't go any closer than that. But there's a restrictive there. That's there. That's a given. That's a God-given. Then it's to be seen more in the life that we live of doing those things that God would have us to do for the world to see. There's something different about the life you live. Something that many of them would want to know more about. This loving one another is demanded as a commandment that you love one another. This is from God. That we would seek him and seek that love for each other along the way. John reminds us in 1 John 5 and verse 3 that we're to love one another. And he said, brethren, herein is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. And as a child of God, that's the way we view them, is it not? Loving God, loving Jesus, loving the Spirit, loving his word, loving the church, loving lost souls, it's not grievous. Because it is God who fills our life. Therefore, they're not grievous. We've already been the beneficiaries of that plan of God for redemption. We're already the beneficiaries of living this life as a child of God of having that freedom from past sins that have been washed away by the blood of Christ, having that hope again of eternal life with him one day. What a freedom that is. There are those who have a dread of God. There are those who have an awareness of a judgment at some time. But for the child of God, that's not there. It's living a life in such a way so that at the end of life, there's that well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of thy master. And again, loving one another is a response to God loving us. We love because he loved us. If his loving us was not grievous for him, ours loving, our loving one another should not be grievous to us. But it's simply a response to what God has already done. It's that way in life. We all live by different rules, and sometimes we want to modify them to, to suit us. 
If you do me wrong, I do you wrong. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. We're, the world wants to carry that out as their way of doing things. And I'll carry that, you know, and I'll remember that. We've heard the expression said sometimes jokingly and sometimes in a half-serious way. I'll forgive you, but I won't forget what you did. And is that, would that be an adequate or a proper concept of God's love for us? I'll forgive you, but God says, I won't forget it. Do we see him as one who would chalk up our wrongs? That would be even hard to even want to conceive of. Then we're to be imitators of that, not chalking up wrongs. That willingness to forgive, the willingness to let it go. The willingness to press on. Today has its own sufficient troubles, Jesus said. No sense trying to tack on the past with it. There's nothing we do today that undoes the past. We move with today and press on. God is there in our life to help us. And that's part of what he's doing is reminding us. And we, do the, and, and we do need those reminders periodically in our life. Loving as God has loved us. The willingness to do His will. And that loving one another, again, is a demonstration of God's existence. God is love. Our learning to love is a demonstration that God exists. His world is a demonstration that God is, and it's full of his love. The beauty of what he's created. To catch a glimpse. Oftentimes, I've mentioned the beauty of God's creation. Sometimes you have to see, again, the other side of God, if you will, the is, I well, won't say a sense of humor if you want, uh, to look at some of the animals he's created, the platypus and some other animals, you wonder, what was in mind with some of those? Strange-looking creatures. <clears throat> and I won't say that about human beings. Uh, Strange-looking creatures. He made us all unique. And each one is distinct. There's a universality to us. As they say you know, about snow, there's no two snowflakes alike. There's no two human beings alike. We may all look alike in one sense or fashion, but there's a uniqueness there. And God works with it. He created us. He works with us. And we get to work with it. What makes it possible is, again, letting God dwell in us. Being more God-like in a life, in a life that we live. To see that we all see things differently to a degree. We have different responses, different personalities, different temperaments. But in yet, through Christ, we're all one. And in Christ, we all have a function 
We all have a, a purpose and all have a job that God wants us to do. Ours is to constantly look and to search and to do what God has given us to do. Ours is to constantly look and to search and to encourage one another along the way. But all of that begins with the thought of the song we're going to sing. Do you know my Jesus? The only way that it works is answering that question. Do you know my Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know what he's willing to do for you? And do you know what he wants to do with you one day into eternity? He's the one that offers the hope. He's the one that offers the peace. He's the one that offers the forgiveness of sins. So that again, one day, as in other songs that we sing, one day, I will see my Savior face to face. Would that be your goal? Are you striving towards it? It's God's invitation. Jesus is the one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. We need rest for our souls. It's Jesus that gives it. We need to come out of that world. He's the one that offers us the way out through his blood. We're in the world and got back, or gone back into the world and need to come back. He's the one that says, come home, and I will restore. Do you know my Jesus? If you're subject to that that invitation, if we can assist you or we can help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.